0: The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. Never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lapin, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Greetings to you, happy warriors. I am your rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Lapin, revealing, as always, how the world r- really works. That's right. And uh, I will take you for a short excursion into my childhood. So there I was, and uh, I was nine years old, ten years old, and um, I was being raised in Johannesburg, South Africa. And I've got to admit... uh, it was not an easy job for my parents. Um, my parents were communal leaders. My father was a famous and um, much-in-demand rabbi. My mother was his um, close uh, collaborator and partner. And um, you know how the, they say the shoemakers' children uh, go barefoot? Well, it so happens I was turning into a bit of a barefoot savage, which is why my parents uh, enrolled me in a school in London for a while. But that's another story. Uh, The part of the story I want to share with you today is that um, I used to read, I used to love an American magazine called The Scientific American. Now, I mean, I didn't know anything about this at the time, but for your information, The Scientific American has been published continuously in the United States um, from before the American Civil War in the 19th century. And so um, I'll give you an example. Uh, in uh, I'm, I'm going back 60 years to the issue of February 1962. Okay? And I'm just a little kid, but um, uh, the magazine, it was really hard to get in South Africa in those days, but the public library in Johannesburg used to get it. They used to get it about a month late, right, because most mail came by ship, uh, not by air (laughs) in those days. That's true. Uh, uh, Air air transport of of mail was very expensive, so uh, I used to get the magazine about a month or six weeks late, I mean, when I say get it, I never got it, but I could go and read it in the public library, and, and that's exactly what I did, and, um, and so I want to give you an example of, and I'm just taking, I just said to myself, here I am recording the show for you, uh, early February 19, uh, 2022, let's go back 60 years exactly, to February 1962, uh, And I could have picked any, it makes absolutely no difference, because I just want to read you some of the titles uh, of the articles that appeared. Well, first of all, there were some regular columns. One was 50 and 100 years ago, where the Scientific American would go back to what the magazine was talking about exactly 50 years earlier and 100 years earlier. So it was really, really interesting. Uh, and yes, the magazine was being published in 1862. So in 1962, they did have the feature what we were talking about fifty years ago and a hundred years ago. I Always liked that. And then they used to have a column called Science and the Citizen, which I uh, I liked as well. There was you know something contemporary. Um, then they used to have book reviews, which uh, you know some of them were beyond my reach. I didn't understand what they were about. But then one of my favorite columns was uh, Mathematical Recreation, Mathematical Games, and the author I remember to this day was a man called Martin Gardner, and uh, his his puzzles and paradoxes used to be collected into books every little while, and to this day I still have them on my bookshelf. Uh, But now let's go to the specific articles of February 1962. Uh, remember that a lot of the in- information in these articles is no longer fully up to date. For instance, one of the articles was entitled Messenger RNA, All right. And this, this has to do with our DNA strands, and so much more is known about this in the last 60 years than back then. But still, that was the article. Another article was called The Solar Chromosphere, all right? And um, i think that had to do with chromatic analysis of uh, close close to the sun uh, you know i don't i don't remember reading this particular article to tell you the truth and i don't have the article in front of me i just have the title but um here's a third one of that same issue february 1962 the physiological effects of acceleration okay so yeah that was that was interesting Um, It was the beginning of space. Now, the moon landing was seven years ahead still, right? That was going to be in 1969. This is 1962. But Scientific American is saying, what is it going to be like? I mean, it's inevitable. Human beings are going to travel into space. There's going to be very rapid acceleration. When the rocket takes off, it's going to have to accelerate rapidly to escape the Earth's gravity and fascinating i mean again i don't remember the details of reading it but i uh, i know that it would have fascinated me then uh, they had a book then they had an article about the etruscans and they're going back to uh, you know very very old ancient mediterranean civilizations and what we know about them and i, I would have found that interesting then they had an article error correcting codes okay and now we're talking about programming. Now, again, early, early days of programming, very early. And uh, and this idea that you can sort of build in error correction protocols. Fascinating, all right? And, I mean, you know, I, I, I was terrible at school, but this kind of stuff really interested me, and I definitely resonated with George Bernard Shaw, the English playwright's comment that um, it's a shame that people have to interrupt their education by going to school. That was very true for me, I have to tell you. I have no doubt that if I uh, were going to school today, uh, the me of 1962 would be in high school to junior high today, whatever. I have no doubt that uh, provided my parents agreed, or maybe the school doesn't even require parental permission, I don't know. But I have no doubt that they would have tried to put me on Adderall, um, or uh, one of the uh, um, mood and brain changing drugs that they are now pumping into mostly boys in American schools, used to be high schools, it's now all the way down to elementary schools as well. So... um, and so, yes, I was a bit precocious, you know, as a kid, to be reading error-correcting codes. And I didn't understand all of it, no question about it. I mean, I un- I, un- I understood only a fraction of every issue. But I learned things, and I-, I found things that really interested me, which I probed further into in the public library. Uh, then they had the next article. And by the way, as I said, I don't have the magazine in front of me. Uh, I just used the Internet to pull up the table of contents, of the Scientific American of 1962. Uh, then they had, uh, the next article was amoeboid movement, and uh, that had to do with uh, how single cellular creatures like amoeba, uh, how they actually locomote, how they get around. Um, fascinating. Then there was uh, something on uh, where and I, I'm not sure what that was about. To tell you the truth, and then there was uh, something where they correlated and studied population density and and things like uh, um, various pathologies, like etc. You get the idea. Look, this was really, really interesting. No question about it. And I really used to, uh, uh, I used to get a lot out of it. Now. Scientific American is an entirely different magazine. It's unrecognizable. And uh, and to make my point, I'm just going to give you a few titles of articles that have appeared, you know, in roughly the, the last year or so. Um, here's one. Modern Mathematics Confronts Its White Patriarchal Past. And um, now, do you see the difference between that and an article on how amoeba move uh, or error correcting protocols in computer coding? Modern mathematics confronts its white patriarchal past and um and basically this article said that you know if you want to know why there are so few women in the field of ma- mathematics, in academic mathematics, it's because of misogyny. It's because of the hatred of women. Okay, I mean, you want to believe that? That's <laughs> a free world, and uh, it's that was the patriarchal past, confronting as white past. The reason they are so black in academic mathematics is because of racism. And again, uh, you can believe that if you wish or you might choose to believe that it could conceivably have something to do with the fact that, um, let's take the city of Baltimore, where the majority of students in the city's public schools are African American, and where the overwhelming majority of these poor students get graduated from high school with a fourth grade understanding of mathematics. I Maybe that has something to do with the fact why there are few uh, African-Americans doing mathematics in university level. Maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know the answer, but I do know it's a question that needs exploring. Yet now the uh, Scientific American runs an article stating, right, it's asserting without any further investigation that the reason for a few women and few blacks in academic mathematics, is because of hatred of women and hatred of blacks. That's what it's about. Um, the uh, another one is uh, how about this article also? All the, this is just from within the last year. Ba- basically, you cannot pick up an issue of Scientific American today uh, where you do not find several articles honestly, having nothing to do with science and having everything to do with pushing a political uh, left-wing agenda. Um, Here's one. Uh, This one is from uh, July 2021. Listen to this title. Denial of evolution is a form of white supremacy. So, in other words, uh, you know, denial of evolution. They love using this word. Are you a climate denier? Are you a vaccine denier? Are you a Holocaust denier? Uh, it's, it's become a, a subtle and not so subtle way of, um, casting aspersions on people without challenging their ideas, but, uh, turning it into an ad hominem attack. And so this article, um, states that if you deny evolution in other words if you're not sure that uh, unaided materialistic evolution if you're unsure that that is a full explanation for the arrival of human beings on this lonely speck of dust in the universe then you are a white supremacist (laughs) if this this beggars belief This is so staggeringly asinine, but this is now what passes for science in the magazine The Scientific American. And so um, there it is. Okay and by the way the magazine said oh people used to think the denial of evolution is all about religion but it isn't it's about white supremacy no i'm not saying it's all about religion at all i'm saying it's all about science i'm saying that looked at strictly objectively if i was completely open-minded the evidence is not satisfactory for evolution there are huge problems and uh, the, the the reason That this is an unacceptable position is because the presumption they take is that the only alternative explanation for how human beings can be found on this planet has to be creationism, that God created us. And that, of course, in the uh, academy is utterly and completely unacceptable. But nonetheless, that's not what this article this, bo- this article is that, well, if you deny evolution, you are a white supremacist. I have not read the article. I'm, you know, my life is too busy. I have a life. I truly do not waste time on things that I know to be a, a real waste of time. Um, and then finally, again, in the last year, this one was from September of last year, uh, this this one I couldn't leave out. This is absolutely terrific. Here's the title of the article. Why the term Jedi is problematic for describing programs that promote justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. So listen, listen to the initial words, the initial letters of those words, okay? I'll read the title again. Why the term Jedi is problematic for describing programs that promote justice equity diversity and inclusion. So so now what they're saying is not only do you have to promote justice equity diversity and inclusion but you mustn't even describe it using the acronym jedi which has been popular. Uh, they like the star Wars theme uh, idea, you know the Jedi from Star Wars, and they use those letters j e d i to stand for justice, equity, diversity, inclusion so the scientific American, yes, the esteemed and looked up to magazine, the Scientific American is wasting pages in its uh, in its September article. Uh, in its September issue, with an article why the term Jedi is problematic for describing programs that promote justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Um, you might be curious, like you know, what's what's wrong with the term Jedi? And uh, they say, uh, well, here's the problem. And and by the way, you know, you read this, and and your first thought is that this is a this is satire. Uh, this is being put out by one of the humorous websites. No, this is the Scientific American. And so what they say is, yes, the Jedi were heroes in the Star Wars universe, that's true, but they are completely inappropriate symbols for work having to do with justice. You've got to remember that the Jedi are a religious order of intergalactic police slash monks prone to white saviorism and toxically masculine approaches to conflict resolution, violent duels with phallic lightsabers, gaslighting by means of Jedi mind tricks. The Jedi are also an exclusionary cult, membership to which is partly predicated on the possession of heightened psychic and physical abilities. Um... Any, it goes on. I, 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 it's too much. I can't, I can't waste your time anymore on this. But the reason I tell you this is because again and again, you hear of politicians and bureaucrats and uh, opinion makers, celebrities, and uh, many others who will constantly use the phrase follow the science, and this is usually in the context of uh, COVID cures, of course. But what I want to explain to you is something which I've, I've pointed out before if you're a regular listener, and that is, look, do I think that uh, the, uh, the Bible lies? Do I think that the core of religious thinking lies? No, I don't think the Bible lies at all. But I do think that there are occasional outlying rabbis and, uh, and ministers and religious leaders who do lie. That's what I think. Five minutes or less on Google will find you somebody with a Jewish name and the word rabbi ahead of the name who will explain to you that homosexual marriage is actually a good thing permitted by the Bible. It's just that we're interpreting the Bible incorrectly I'm I'm being quite serious. So, uh, yes, I do think that rabbis, and and there are rabbis and ministers who lie. I don't think that the Bible lies. Why am I saying that? Because I want to make a parallel to science. Does science lie? Well, uh, obviously, there are certain uh, recent, relatively recent theories of science which have not yet fully moved past the theory stage, and they may turn out to be lies, but if you if you move back to things that have gone beyond the theory stage, do I think that the uh, second law of thermodynamics is uh, is true? Yeah, I do. I don't think it's a lie. I think it's absolutely true. Um, do I think Newton's laws of motion are true? Is it true that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction? Yeah, that's absolutely true. Don't have to worry about that. Are there scientists who lie? Of course they are. There's nothing that you cannot find some scientists to say, and there is nothing that some scientists won't say. And uh, and look, I understand this. Um, people, people have their interests at heart, and t- today there are certain positions that if you take them you you are in such conflict with the political powers that be that uh, you will not get a research grant and you will become uh, poisonous and you won't be able to keep a job I, I i really do get that i but the rest of us need to get it as well and we also have to understand that just because a scientist or 50 scientists or a hundred scientists say something doesn't mean anything the next thing you have to recognize is that the word scientist has no real meaning anymore today because once the scientific American carries articles such as those I've just described, then you, you have to know that the definition of the word scientist has spread so wide and so far as to not really have any meaning and i'm accustomed to this because i will be the first to tell you that the word rabbi has absolutely no meaning there is nothing to stop anybody calling themselves a rabbi there really isn't there's no there's there's no trademark law about the word rabbi there is no central authority by the way i think and i i'm 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 just expressing an an opinion Uh, That may be ignorant and wrong, but my impression is that you cannot get up and declare yourself a Roman Catholic priest because there is a hierarchical system uh, and and a sort of apostolic succession system which which says whether somebody is legitimately a priest or not. And so you would have thought that a rabbi, which means a teacher and essentially a teacher, of ancient Jewish wisdom, and of the Torah, of the uh, five books of Moses, which, by the way, to go back to my earlier example, is is pretty explicit that uh, uh, two men may not marry, and it's pretty explicit that pork is not uh, permitted for Jews to eat. Does that mean that I cannot find a rabbi who will permit both pork and homosexual marriage, of course you can. There's no question about it. As I said, five minutes on Google, don't waste your time, but five minutes on Google and you'll find people with the title rabbi. Who gave him the title rabbi? It's it's irrelevant because there is no central authority. And so um, if Tom decides to uh, anoint Jerry with the title rabbi and gives him a piece of paper that says... From Tom's School of Biblical Theology, Jerry is now uh, given the title of rabbi. That's a piece of paper Jerry can hang on his wall, and from then onwards, Jerry calls himself a rabbi. Look, folks, I wish this weren't true, uh, because for me it's embarrassing sometimes. Uh, Nonetheless, uh, it's, it's simply a reality. The same is true for the word scientist. I, I will confess that uh, I have from time to time described myself as a scientist. Um, who's, who's to deny me? Who's to call me wrong? Um, I have worked as an electrical engineer. Um, I, I do understand, and I, I have taught mathematics. I have taught physics at the college level. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm a scientist. But really? I mean, really?? Right? I'm, what am I? Um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a redneck rabbi who likes sailing. I mean, uh, but I'm a scientist also. <laughs> it's whatever you like you see. There, there is not, by the way, it's different. If you describe yourself and you try and practice as a medical doctor, I do believe you will come up short and run into some problems. But you go ahead and hang up a shingle as a rabbi, God bless you. Go for it. There's nothing to stop you. And you want to hang up a shingle that says uh, scientist, and then you write articles, and you you, you can't give any scientific credentials, but, um, you know, there you go. That's fine. And I say this because following the signs today, is, it's a big lie. It does not mean anything at all. And I just want to strongly urge you all um, to be really aware, strongly aware of that. Um, I also want to ask you to be strongly aware that by going to my website, rabbidaniellappin.com, you can very easily, from there, jump over to the We Happy Warriors website. And uh, I want to encourage you to formally join our community of Happy Warriors. You can become a basic member of the Happy Warriors community. And uh, I think that's a good thing because it enables you to interact with other Happy Warriors. And I must tell you that... uh, on the Ask the Rabbi column, we, we answer uh, the most interesting questions that we receive. But we've also noticed that on the We Happy Warriors, we find happy warriors connecting with other happy warriors. And many of the questions that people raise get responded to very in- intelligently by other happy warriors. And so we do encourage you to uh, become a basic member of the Happy Warrior community. Um, It's a few dollars a month, and uh, if you are a coffee drinker, although uh, I think fewer and fewer people, I I haven't checked to see what Starbucks um, share prices have been doing over the last two years, but I've got to think that fewer and fewer people. Um, are uh, are drinking because a great deal of the Starbucks experience and part of the genius of Howard Schultz and his team at the beginning was realizing that Starbucks was much more than a place to get a cup of coffee because you can't charge three dollars for a cup of coffee but you can charge three dollars for an entire experience and part of that was a Starbucks shop where you'd go in and you'd sit down or maybe you'd stand and Talk with people, whatever. But it was an experience, and so I've got to assume it's less. People are less involved in that uh, today than than they used to be. But um, at any rate, the uh, the realization was that it was a community. It, it it was a basis of connection, and so that's what uh, what I'm suggesting now. That for uh, for an insignificant sum, it's really just enough to to keep trolls out and to keep uh, people who have nothing to contribute to the conversation out. But not only do you get access to material otherwise unavailable, but you also are able to communicate directly with other happy warriors and also with um, Mrs. Susan Lappin and myself. Uh, I am very fortunate. I get to communicate with her anytime I like. I was going to say for free, but um, I wouldn't say that that's entirely true, but uh, we both we both work quite hard. At any rate, uh, the website RabbiDanielLappin.com and uh, you want to hop over to the We Happy Warriors, but you'll 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 find it quite easily if you visit the RabbiDanielLappin.com website. Where uh, we'd love to see you, we'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to welcome you to the community. Of Happy Warriors. It's an international community, and there have been some fascinating exchanges recently. A very important piece, by the way, written by um, a gentleman called CG. You've heard me uh, talk about him uh, before. He lives on the northern coast of Greenland. He is in uh, the military special operations and a very, very interesting guy. Well, I just saw. Because I'm I'm constantly I'm on the uh, comment site and I I saw um, that CG along with several other people were having a a very hectic conversation a very very positive and revealing conversation right there on the website and um, uh, CG always finishes his communications um, happy warrior reporting for duty which which I I love I cherish it uh, he concluded one letter recently angry happy warrior. And he describes and he writes why he is angry. And I've got to think to myself that an angry CG would be a very formidable uh, foe. So, um, so so there it is. And um, I so I welcome, I, I hope you will be able to do that. Uh, now, I uh, I want to tell you there is a um, a very complex piece of ancient jewish wisdom which is conveyed uh, in brevity but it's it's been subject to enormous uh, distortion and mischaracterization over the years and uh, the statement is is fairly terse but again there is considerable uh, teaching in other words when i was taught this for the first time uh, although what I'm going to tell you is going to take 10 seconds to communicate, the teaching it to me took uh, about an hour and a half, maybe a bit more, close to two hours. And then when it was taught to me at a at a deeper level, it took even longer. So here is the statement in all its brevity. Uh, God sent 10 measures of communicative ability down to the world, talking ability, conversation, I should say conversational ability. God sent 10 measures of conversational ability to the world. Nine were given to women and the remaining one to men. Well, as you can imagine, um, from people who didn't know any of the background, and it's, it's always, it's, it's always going to be funny when people who don't know a topic to any depth whatsoever comment on it Um, I I think that's true on on theology uh, and it's it's true on on every topic and so similarly here as you can imagine uh, I can't tell you how many times challengers have come up to me and they're not asking me a question they're telling me a question what they say is oh uh, you see Judaism is misogynistic uh, it's, it dismisses women as as talking too much, et cetera. and so you know you can see how that goes. And so I'm not going to take the same two hours that I was um, presented with in explaining and understanding it. You know, I, w- I was young and uh, and still not not wise or knowledgeable in in many ways at all. Uh, you all are considerably more sophisticated, and so it won't take you two hours. To hear the explanation of what that really means. And so what it means is that God created men and women very differently. Now, you do not have to believe in God. You do not have to be a Bible centric individual uh, to know that men and women are created very differently. Um, we know that, by the way, if you've, one of the great things about raising children and ideally having at least one boy and one girl, so you can get to know and understand the differences. Um, one of the things which is fascinating, and this is this is well known, you don't need to rely on science or scientists or experts or studies. You can just do this yourself, and that is um, put a rotating mobile on your young child's you know, a a two-month-old baby, a three-month-old baby. Uh, So on the uh, bassinet, put one of these mobiles, either battery-operated or you wind them up, and then this colorful thing is like a carousel and things turn around and little uh, colored shapes bob and dance around. And then what you do is have the mom of the child come and look down at the child in the bassinet from one side of the bassinet and on the other side the mobile is rotating and you will see that if it's the baby if it's a baby girl nine times out of ten well i don't i'm not going to be scientific about it but most of the time it's very clear she turns her head away from the mobile and gazes into the face of her mom <laughs> and now try the same thing with a boy baby same age everything the same and overwhelmingly, the majority of times, the baby boy will keep, it. he may glance momentarily when his mom just comes into his field of vision, he turns straight back to the moving mobile. Boys attracted to the movement, girls attracted to the face of mom. And and this is just one minor uh, little difference, but there are so many of them that you, you pick up as we go through. Uh, by the way, the different effect of alcohol on boys and girls of the same weight. So ordinarily, we measure the effect of alcohol uh, based on body weight. And so it's true that a fixed amount of alcohol, whatever, however many uh, ounces of alcohol this is going to be, uh, it will have a much more pronounced impact on a boy that weighs shall we say a hundred pounds over a boy or a male that weighs one hundred and eighty pounds, and so you would have thought, well, how about okay, how about alcohol the same amount on a boy weighing one hundred and ten pounds, and a girl weighing one hundred and ten pounds should be the same, right? No, it isn't impact much more on the girl, and so uh, one of the areas in which happy warriors are distinguishable from non-happy warriors is that uh, we happy warriors are much less inclined to buy into conventional wisdom because we realize now the extent to which politics has intruded into science, so-called science, and so we no longer trust what scientists say is the science. When people tell you it's established science, and 97% of scientists agree that humans are causing catastrophic climate change or global warming, um, I go back to my cornflakes. I'm very relaxed, okay, because I don't buy it. Now, I'm, I am hear the information, I don't accept it yet. I'm going to study it and figure it out and do the best I can for myself. In other words, happy warriors do not surrender their own free will to experts or studies or scientists or professors. We do not do that. We retain our claim to our own individuality, and we have confidence in our ability to understand things. Not everything, but we can understand a lot. And so we're not necessarily going to deal with our money in the way experts say. We're not going to deal with our uh, family exactly the way experts say. We're not going to uh, deal with our um, uh, fitness or our friendships, certainly not our faith, and yes, as I said, not our family or our finances, according to what scientists say. No, I will take it into consideration, and I will note it, but I will not accept it at face value. I'm going to evaluate it. Uh, Because, as I taught you last week, scientists focus on information, and information exists in tall, isolated structures. And so, whilst uh, a scientist may say one thing, I'm not sure that that's the entire story, because alongside that tower of information are six more towers of different kinds of information. And it is my job as being the CEO, the chief executive officer of my life, it's my job to integrate all those pieces of information and arrive at a course of action that makes most sense. And so to let so-called scientists decide Uh, how I should space my children, how many children I should have. I won't do it. Or to let uh, experts decide on whether I should retain faith or get rid of my faith. I wouldn't dream of doing that. Why would I hand over that control of a critical aspect of my life to somebody who is an information expert, not a wisdom expert? For that, if, you haven't, if that doesn't make sense to you, go back and listen to last week's show you might have missed. Um, information or wisdom, one of those can save your life, and uh, you've got to know which it is and what the difference is. So, uh, so we've got to know, and, and as painful as this is, we've got to know that science has been Corrupted. And you only have to look at how the scientific American has changed from February 1962 to to the present to get a very clear picture of how science has been corrupted. Um, Medicine, by the way, I'm sorry to say this because we all love our own doctors and we all believe our doctors are are wonderful. But um, I'm afraid that today, we we all owe it to ourselves to be very sceptical about even what our own doctors tell us. You are in charge of your life. You cannot hand off authority. You are responsible for your children. You cannot hand off authority. You know that many people used to believe that. All I I had people tell me this. All I've got to do, my responsibility as a parent, is to get the child onto the yellow bus at the end of the driveway every morning. Hand over responsibility to your local public school district. Okay. It's not like that. It really isn't. It's your responsibility, your life, your family, your children. Listen to other people, listen to scientists, listen to experts, listen to academia, and weigh it all up and learn to acquire wisdom. And for wisdom, you have to be open to ideas that bother you. We call it cognitive dissonance, the tendency of human beings, all of us, to reject information that we find emotionally painful. Got to overcome that. And, and if, there's, if there's one course of action in today's program that I want to emphasize, it is to make yourself open to information that is emotionally painful. At least consider it. I'm not saying you have to believe it. You have not have to accept it. But listen to it seriously enough to be able to evaluate it. Because happy warriors are serious. We're not silly. We're serious. That doesn't mean we don't have a sense of humor. It doesn't mean that we can sometimes have delightful opportunities to spend time with friends and with family, where warm feelings of emotional uh, connection and, and happiness just surge spontaneously into your soul, and there is laughter and joy in the air. That's all part of being a happy warrior. But we're serious about our lives. We're not silly. That contrast between silly and serious is a critical barometer for the happy warrior. That's who we are. And so, yes, it might be difficult for various reasons. It might be difficult for you, perhaps, to hear the idea that males and females are utterly different, that boys and girls are really, really different. Um, I have a friend who is a biologist, and uh, he gives me a lot of very useful information. He teaches me a lot. He is a specialist in the information silo of biology, and uh, one of the things he once said to me is he said, look, Uh, there are different ways of measuring DNA connectedness. He says, so I, I don't want to make a categorical statement as a scientist, but I will tell you that it is perfectly reasonable to say that a boy's DNA has more in common with a whale than that of a girl. And this was always a useful thing for me to remember, that in some ways, and on some levels, a man's DNA has more in common with a whale <laughs> than with a woman. It's important to remember that. And, uh, and so when, um, when I say, yes, uh, women have the gift of conversation, nine-tenths, and men only have it one-tenth, this is a statement of reality. And that is that women connect much better than men do. And that this is one of the huge advantages to men in being married. That they are therefore much better connected. Uh, Men who are single tend to be less connected with family and friends. Because women maintain those connections. The Christmas cards, the happy birthday presents the Thanksgiving invitations, who handles that? In the overwhelming majority of families, that's mom who handles that, not dad, because connectedness is innate to her. You know, if, if you call me up, and, and I'm very similar to, to most men in this respect, um, and that is that if you phone me up And you say, uh, Rabbi Lapin, is that you? And I say, yes, who is this? And you say, this is uh, John. John, how are you? Excellent, thank you. How are you? Fine, thank you, John. Rabbi, uh, tell me, um, how, uh, how's business been this last week? Thank you, John. Yeah, it's much to be grateful for. And how's your family? Yeah, John, thanks. Everybody's good. Thank God we're, we're good. And uh, John says, Rabbi, and uh, are you enjoying the weather where you are right? Yes. Do you, do you know that any man listening to me now, most men listening to me now, I guess I should say, recognizes that I'm beginning to feel a bit itchy. Like, get to the point, will you? Like, John, what did you call me for? And then finally, John gets to the point and says, "Do you remember that uh, stock I recommended you might want to invest in or look into last week?" Well, I just want to tell you I've changed my mind. The the factors that I thought were relevant. Okay, thank you, John. I really appreciate it. I'll go back and look at it again, or maybe I'll have to sell some stock or whatever. But I appreciate the call. Have a good day. Talk to you soon. Bye. And the conversation is done. Uh, By contrast, most women will be comfortable having a conversation that goes on for quite a while. And at the end of it, you might say to the woman, "Uh, who was that? Oh, she says, that was Shirley. And you say, oh, what did she want? And the answer is nothing. What was the call about? We just hadn't spoken for a while that is very very feminine much more than for men and uh, ancient jewish wisdom praises and applauds that fact about women and it's saying to men you have got to understand this you got to appreciate this not because you can ever become a woman not because you will ever learn to communicate in quite that fashion but because you need to understand the value of that, even though it's not innate to you and never will be. And so the differences between men and women are very real, and we have to know them. The, uh, another aspect of that same difference is that, in general, women are comfortable talking and feeling, and so very often, uh, a woman might say, "I just feel this" or "I just feel that," and the the, the woman she's talking to will say, "Yeah, I know just what you mean." Uh, by contrast, when I say I feel, the only time I say that, and and you know, in in private intimate communication with my wife, I might well say, I feel, but in ordinary uh, interpersonal communication, the only time I say I feel would be in a negotiation where I, I want to leave room for the discussion. And so I don't want to state as a fact that um, uh, your price is out of range, because then the other party has to get defensive and say, no, I, it's not out of range. It's, and now we, we have a disagreement, which is an obstacle to effective negotiation, which is to arrive at a mutually beneficial and profitable transaction. That's the purpose of a negotiation. And so when uh, I, I, I would not say, I think the price is too high, I would say, I feel the price is too high, because then a, a smart and experienced negotiator on the, on the other side would say, oh, um, you know, I can understand you feeling that. Tell me why you feel that. And then we're, we're, we're still in no negotiation. We're still in conversation. And, uh, and the relationship is still constructive. But other than that, um, I, I tend not to say I feel because I'm a man, and it's just not who I am. I I will say what I think, but I will couch it in terms of what I think, and I'm absolutely ready to give you the reasons. You might say to me, well, why do you think that? And I'll tell you, because if I didn't have the reasons, I wouldn't have had any rational basis to say, I think. But if I say, I feel something, and, and many times a woman will say, I just feel this. And I say, well, why do you feel that? And you say, I don't know, I just feel it. How can you, know, you can't argue with that, and you're not meant to. And that's why it's useful in negotiations, because there is no argument with somebody who says, I feel. There is an argument with somebody who says, I think. And so in ordinary uh, communication, I use I think or I believe, and I'm ready to explain why but where I am trying to communicate and where the connection and the conversation is in, an, in and of itself an end and a purpose, I will use a feminine style of conversation using I feel. Okay, that makes, I hope that makes sense to It's very, there's nothing here that is terribly controversial, but, um, Uh, in general, women tend to be very comfortable talking and feeling. Uh, Men, on the other hand, a little bit different. But uh, yes, with men, it's it's really very different. And so in as much as, in general, women are very good at feeling and talking, men are better at deciding and acting that's right in general men are more decisive than women and men tend to action more easily and quickly than women now One has to be aware of these things because, obviously, there are times when these things are disadvantages to each gender, and we have to know it. So, yes, of course, there are times where a man has to slow down his tendency to arrive at a decision and act on it, and there are times where a woman has to say, you know, this isn't a time for endless conversation and discussion about feelings. This is a time for action, right? We're we're balanced human beings, and we operate on a spectrum line. What I mean by that is that you have to get used to looking at this as a line in front of you, stretching from left to right. You can imagine it. You can visualize it in your mind's eye. And over at one end, you have talk, feel, and over at the other end, you have decide and act. And in general, that side, which is decide and act, is the side where male or the male part of the population tends to congregate. And uh, the side where it says uh, feel and talk, that's kind of where the uh feminine the female side of the population tends to congregate and then you know there are uh, there is a, a smattering of men as you move towards the center fewer and fewer and there's a few women dotted around there and and as you move towards the the end you have more and more most women gathered towards that end right it's a, it's a general it's a, st- it's a statistical distribution if you like if you're in, into the technical terminology but uh, but that's exactly that's how we scientists exp- <laughs> how we scientists explain it right so um, the reason i mention this today is because there are lots of forces in the culture over the last number of years already that have been driving away from the male end, driving away from act, decide and act, towards feel and talk. And I want to give you some examples of that. Um, For those of you who are interested You know, there's a lot more on this topic. I'm only going to spend a few minutes on it. Uh, But it's a big topic because you might find yourself, you might be a man who says to yourself, hey, you know what? I've been impacted by this. I have been made to be less act, decide act inclined and tended to be, I've, I've been moved towards the, talk-feel side of it. And this could be a problem. Yeah, it could be. It could be a problem in business, right? It could be a problem in your F of finances. It could also be a problem in your romantic relationships, the, the family part of things. Yes, it could be. Because most women want to be married to masculine men. But... Unfortunately, particularly in American society, but this is true in a large part of the Western world today. It's also true in in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, uh, and even, and certainly parts of Europe, even or certainly. uh, And that is a tendency towards um, denigrating masculinity. And it's a real problem because deep down, the majority of women want a masculine man as one of the great feminists of, I think, the 1960s or 1970s, uh, Germaine Greer, I believe it was her, famously said, um, we have succeeded in feminizing men, just as we've been trying to do, and now we only want to date truck drivers and mechanics. It's a great point. I mean, and and you know, bless her for her honesty. Uh, Yeah, that that's true. On the one hand, politically and socially, women help to denigrate masculinity, but then what they end up with is a man that they're not attracted to. It's a huge problem. And so, uh, you know, you might well say to yourself, "Hey, you know, I'm a guy." And yet, I suddenly recognize that I need correction. I need to work on myself. I'm a happy warrior. I never take myself just as I am. I'm never content with the status quo. No, I'm a happy warrior. And therefore, uh, I've got to catch myself. When I find myself just talking or thinking about something endlessly, I've, I've got to say to myself, you know what? Five more minutes and then it's time for a decision and some action. That's got to be how it is. You might be a woman married to a guy like this, where you say to yourself, I just wish he was less talky-feely, and I need him to be decisive and action-oriented. And uh, what do you do in that situation? Look, why why has this been happening? There's a lot of it. Um, I'm not going to go into all the reasons now. This is a big topic. Um, it's going to be heavily dealt with in my new book uh, which will uh, uh, be p- uh, published by Wiley soon and uh, I'll tell you all about it don't worry i'm i'm I told you that not to tantalize you, but in order to help motivate and uh, and galvanize me to action, I've got to finish the, the job. And, uh, and so if I've committed to you to have the book out, well, that'll help me just get to it and make sure that I do less talking and more acting. And by the way, anybody who doubts that those two are opposite ends of the spectrum, just be aware. And as soon as I say this, many of you are going to relate to it. You're totally going to understand what I'm talking about. When I tell you that, you can sometimes dissipate your energy by too much talking. Uh, sometimes, intuitively, we guys will say, you know what, um, I'm working on this new product. I don't want to tell you too much about it now. I'll show it to you soon. Because we have an innate understanding that talking is at the oppo- opposite end of doing. And sometimes, too much talking detracts energy from the doing subtracts energy from the doing because talking and doing are opposite ends of each other and feeling and deciding are opposite ends of each other as well i feel this i feel that you know how you know i can go on feeling things for the rest of the day but at some point you got to stop feeling and start deciding and even when i decide it doesn't mean i don't have feelings the other way because life is complex and many decisions that i that I take, I have mixed feelings about, mixed feelings, right? But that's okay. I've got to make a decision. I'll go ahead and make it. That's really important. And so, a number of the factors, uh, I'll give you one. More and more people have undergone therapy than ever before. If we would have spoken to somebody in, um, let's say, not 50 years ago, not 60 years ago, but shall, shall we say 100 years ago, if that matter, before, before 1962. Uh, the, the likelihood that the person you're talking to has ever been in something called therapy, it was close to zero, didn't exist. But now there's a whole lot of it. And uh, I actually want to do a show about how destructive it can be, particularly for men. But for now, I'm sure you're already getting the point. Because when you're in therapy, you talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and you talk some more and you talk and talk and talk and talk and you talk more, 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 more. And the therapist says to you, so tell me how you feel about what your mother did. Tell me how you feel about... Talk, 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 talk. My friends, if you're a guy and you've had years of therapy, then almost for sure... You are too far away from the male end of that spectrum line. You're too far away from the deciding and acting because so much talking has actually hurt you, not helped you. So please, please do entertain this idea. You know, when I talk to you about being skeptical of so-called experts, and be skeptical of scientists. It, it applies to everything. And uh, I never want you to take what I say just on value itself. I want you to think about it and evaluate it. And and I, I'm i human, so I love hearing from you. I get emails all the time from you saying, you know what, I I, I didn't wanna hear this thing you said on the show um remember when you said this i really rejected it i didn't want it but i forced myself to think about it and you know what i i'm doing it you're 100 percent right it's made a huge difference in my i love hearing that because i think i'm telling you the truth i believe i'm telling you the truth but uh but you must be skeptical you should be uh what i'm telling you now is that uh for many men lengthy periods of therapy carries with it the danger of demasculinizing sorry but it's a reality uh, i also will say that um, if you were put on drugs because the school found you difficult to deal with uh, then more than likely you also need to work on this you were hurt in that area um, Uh, Somebody made the point. I wish I'd thought of this, but uh, it was a beautiful point. I'm thinking it was uh, Dr. Leonard Sachs, maybe. I don't remember exactly who it was, but the point was that if you've ever read um, the uh, Mark Twain's book about Tom Sawyer, and you, you take a look at the life of Tom Sawyer, and you look at his interactions, you would realize that today, If Tom Sawyer was at school today, he would be uh, accused of toxic masculinity. He would almost likely be put on Ritalin or Adderall or any of the other drugs they put kids on. Mostly when I say kids, I mean mostly boys. Okay, so please be aware. Perfectly normal masculine behavior. You understand we guys were not built to sit at a classroom desk for eight hours a day from uh, you know the age of uh, what's it from the age of five or six or seven all the way to the age of 17 no we were not and and that is one of the reasons that many families choose homeschooling because for boys they can intersperse the schooling with outdoor activities And so it's perfectly natural and perfectly normal for boys not to be inclined to do that. Here's another problem, Uh, co-ed schooling. Many, many families have discovered that their boys do much better in single sex schools than they do in co-ed. Going to a boys school, they do a whole lot better. There's a very good reason for that. If you think about the spectrum line, and you think about the a perfectly normal teacher would tend to say to themselves well look you know here's a i 've got the spectrum line i 've got a whole bunch of girls who tend to talk and feel, and i 've got a whole bunch of boys and i 've got girls who sit quietly at the desk and they relate to me and they cooperate with each other, but i 've got a whole bunch of boys who are uh, bouncing off the off the ceiling uh, and so they set normal." sort of somewhere in between, and that makes all the boys toxically masculine. These, these are very, very real problems. And so uh, on today's show, I'm not going to go further into great depth other than to tell you that there have been social and cultural forces at work the last few decades, increasingly so. I mean, this started 50, 60 years ago, but increasingly in the last 10 or 15 years, more so than ever. And uh, and so in terms of self-awareness, just ask yourself, if you're a guy, just ask yourself whether events in your life and circumstances in your life may have nudged you unhealthily away from the masculine act, decide, end of the spectrum line. Um, Maybe you're a guy and you can't make up your mind whether to commit to marriage. You're having trouble deciding whether to get engaged to a girl you've been dating for 11 years or whatever it is, and uh, maybe this is very possibly what it's about. You are busy feeling this and feeling that. Some days you feel you want to spend the rest of your life with her. Other days you feel differently. And you, and you want to talk about this to her until she just can't take it anymore. Have you had that experience, right? Where you drive the girl you love crazy because instead of deciding and acting, you talk and talk and talk and talk. And you talk about your feelings and more about your feelings. And you talk even more about your feelings. It's enough to drive any woman mad. Uh, and um, what, you know, and there's something to be done about it and, and off you go, time to, time to deal with this take yourself in hand and, and start moving yourself back towards the end that a man belongs at or closer to that end, you don't have to be all the way but you need to be on that side of the spectrum line uh, what about if you're a, a woman married to a guy that's always more difficult because uh, uh, what do you do in that, how do you help your man move back? Maybe he has been impacted by this. He's been taught to believe that masculinity is toxic. Um, and yes, I mean, the culture is very feminized today. Uh, and uh, And I'm quite sure, by the way, that part of the reason that America, so many Americans, had this visceral hatred for President Donald Trump was because he was... Masculine, and he came across as a masculine man. With, by the way, there are there are disadvantages there as well, right? Who, who would disagree with that? Um, you know, I work better as part of a married team because I have a wife who makes up for my terrible male deficiencies. I do have many male deficiencies, and uh, they are masculine deficiencies because I'm a man. They are what I am, and it's harder for me to do certain things. I have a wife; that's wonderful. I'm blessed, but um, it's uh, it's it's very easy to see the the effect to which many men in American society have been feminized. All right, it's uh, look, it's tough. Maybe you're somebody. Maybe you're a man who was brought up by a single mom. Maybe you're a man who was brought up by a single mom, and you spent a lot of time with her mom, with your grandmother. Okay, these are difficult situations, and they're not the way God planned for humanity to live so not surprisingly, they come with downsides and this is obviously not to detract from the often heroism of some um dedicated single moms, but it does come with a downside you've got to be aware of that so uh if if you're a guy and you've got, you know, this realization that, hey, you know what, he's talking about me, there are, there are things you can do about that. Um, if you're a woman married to a guy in that situation, um, it's a little bit more difficult. And, uh, and here's what you will have noticed happening. You see, nature abhors a vacuum and a marriage abhors a vacuum of masculinity. And so if the man is not exerting masculinity, then guess what happens? Very often the wife does, and the wife becomes that missing masculinity force. So clearly, obviously, one thing, and again, I'm dealing with this very, very briefly because we're at the end of the show, but one aspect of that is to back off and um, to, in essence, I'm going to use a word that is fraught with all kinds of Of meanings and emotions, but I'm going to use the word surrender, Uh, back off and uh, leave room in a way that demands masculinity fill in. But there are also other things to do having to do with uh, involving other men, because I will hear things, I will hear criticism from a man, a friend or somebody, a man I I respect, I will absolutely hear that criticism. You know, I won't be joyful about it. I will be uh, somewhat sorrowful and maybe even embarrassed, but I will hear it, but I'll never hear it from my wife directly. It's just plain different. And so uh, women have to know that there is a limit to what they can directly do in these kinds of areas anyway that is as as far as we're able to go on this topic for today but at least i hope i have raised it for your consideration and uh, for your ability to estimate whether this is of significance and value to you or to somebody you care about and so Don't be intimidated by scientists or by rabbis for that matter. Uh, Don't be intimidated by so-called experts or by studies that reveal or show or prove. No, remember you are a happy warrior and that means that you have God-given intelligence and you have a God-given brain and you do have the ability to evaluate things for yourself listen to experts, listen to scientists, listen to rabbis, but always do not surrender your ability to think it through yourself and to make the decision that is best appropriate for you and your life, because nobody but you is captain of your soul. You are in charge of your life. Visit the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. For more resources on this topic, by the way, uh, we're at the very end of the sale period on the financial prosperity package. And uh, and so if you really hurry up, you will find that if you go to the store, rabbidaniellappin.com, there is financial prosperity information uh, that you will uh, be able to take advantage of. And uh, obviously, of course, there is the ability to become a uh, basic member of our happy warrior community. So visit RabbiDanielLappin.com and let's hear from you. Thank you for being part of the show. I thank all of you who have so effectively been promoting the show, telling friends about it. I appreciate that very much indeed. It's been fun to watch the show grow. And until next week, I urge you to stay focused on your family, on your finances, on your friendships, on your fitness, and on your faith. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lapin. God bless. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.